If you have a Bible, go ahead and take it and turn to Luke chapter 7. If you're just joining with us for the first time, we've been going through a study in the book of Luke, and we've made it to the middle of chapter 7, and this morning we're going to look at a little bit more verses than we typically do. We're going to look at Luke 7, verses 18 through 35, and I'll read those in a minute. But first I want to ask you if you know what this is. I'm going to hold it up here. Does anyone? A Care Bear, right? This was actually my wife's Care Bear when she was a child. So this is vintage. Anyone know which Care Bear this is? Friendship Bear. This is this is Friendship Bear. My daughter, Elaine, I think two birthdays ago, decided that she wanted a Care Bear. This has been handed down to her, but she wanted her own. She wanted a special one, um, a different kind of Care Bear. And so she told my mother and Grandmas say, okay, whatever you want, <laughs> we'll find it. And so she started looking for Care Bears. Well, they don't make these Care Bears anymore. So she got on eBay. That's right. She got on eBay to look because everything's on eBay. And she got on eBay and found a Care Bear. And this is what she got. <laughs> she was expecting this. And she got this, which is still cute, right? And, and Elaine still likes it. But it wasn't what she expected. You ever have that? Your expectations aren't met. You're expecting one thing and you get something else. You're expecting something bigger and you get something smaller, something better and you get something worse. Of course, it goes the other way, doesn't it? When you're expecting less and something great happens. Imagine that you know you're driving down the street and you see a run-down-looking barbecue place and you think, ah, it might be decent, and it turns out to be the best meal of your life. It may not look like much. You may not expect much, but it's it's better than expected. You know, as I look at this passage, I think this is what it's about. I think it's about unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. I think that's one of the most difficult things in the world to deal with. When you're expecting things to go one way and they go the other way, that's hard. I have trouble with that. If I'm expecting something to happen a specific way and it changes at the last minute, it's hard for me to adjust and to deal with that. And I think what's going on in this passage that we're going to look at is John the Baptist and some of the religious leaders and the people of that day had expectations about who Jesus was and what he was going to do. And he didn't do what they expected. He wasn't the kind of Savior that they were expecting, and they were having trouble understanding that. And so Jesus comes and he breaks all their expectations. And so I want to say this is what I think the main point from this passage that we're going to read this morning is. Jesus is not what we expect. He's a billion times better. Jesus is not what we expect. He's a billion times better. A billion is just the word that I picked. We could put whatever large number you want to say, but he's not what we expect. He's better. Let's read this together in, in Luke 7, and I'll start reading verse 18, and just listen to the story. Remember, this is a real event. This truly happened, and uh, we get to see Jesus interact and teach and surprise. Luke 7, verse 18. The disciples of John reported all these things, speaking about the miracles that had just happened, to Jesus. Or, or, I'm sorry, to, to him. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, to John. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, 
he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go, and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowd concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Jesus continues to speak, To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children, sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come, eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Now, when I read this whole passage last week, I said there's about three or four things that I really have no idea what's going on here. I think the way we can break it down, you see in verses 18 through 23, there's a question. Then in verses 24 uh, through 30, there's another question. And then in verses 31 through 35, Jesus asks another question. And he's bringing clarity about who he is. He has questions, and, and he's providing answers. Now, in our study in the book of Luke, we've been going through, and we met John the Baptist. Back in, in chapter 3, John the Baptist was this, this bold proclaimer of the message out in the desert. He's out in the desert by the Jordan River, and he's proclaiming a message. And he's, he's telling people the Messiah is coming, the, the promised one, the Savior of God's people is coming into the world, and you need to get ready for it. He's preparing the way. He's paving the way. He's clearing it out. And the way he says you need to get ready is by repenting, by turning from your sin and turning to God, that the Messiah is coming and you need to get ready for it. And while people were following John, he was pointing to Jesus and he was saying, this is the one. He is the one that I told you is coming. And so John is this proclaimer saying, the, the Savior of the world is coming. And here he is. It's Jesus. Now, what we find here in, in, in Luke 7 is that here, the, in the crowd that day, as Jesus is doing different miracles, there were some disciples of John, some people that were following John the Baptist. They were committed to John as a prophet, but they were still a little bit unsure about who Jesus was. And when they saw all these things, they saw a couple amazing things, didn't they? Last time we saw Jesus heal a centurion servant who was about to die. And then we saw uh, the most amazing thing in the world, a widow's son had died, and what did Jesus do? raised him from the dead, brought this man back to life. And so they go to John, and they start telling John the Baptist what Jesus is doing. Luke doesn't mention in here, but where is John? He's in prison. John is in prison because he had spoken out against Herod, one of the rulers of that day, and he had spoken boldly against his sin. And so John got thrown in prison. So here we have this picture of these disciples of John 
going to John the Baptist in prison and speaking to him and saying, listen, you told us about Jesus. This is what Jesus is doing. And in response to that, John sends two disciples to Jesus to ask him a question. And what's the question? The question is, are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for someone else? Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for someone else? And it's repeated. It's an important question. It's very, in, in, in verse 20, he says it word for word again. What's going on here? I, I think it's clear that John is doubting. John doesn't know if Jesus really is who he says he is. This is the, the key question. He says, and what he's saying is, Jesus, from everything I could tell up until this point, it looked like you were the Savior. It looked like you were the, the Messiah, the one to come, the one we've been waiting for. And now, I'm just not sure. I mean, how could this be? How could John the Baptist, of all people, ask this question? John the Baptist is one of my favorite characters. Out in the desert, preaching boldly. Just imagine with a big beard. He's covered in camel skins. I mean, he's a wild man. And now, he's in prison, and he says, I just don't know. I mean, this is John. He's the cousin of Jesus. He knew everything that Jesus had taught and done. He was there. This is, this is John who was at the baptism of Jesus. He watched Jesus go under the water and come back up. The Holy Spirit came down on Jesus in the form of a dove, and then God spoke audibly from heaven and said, This is my son. That's what John was there for. John is the one that stood on the Jordan and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now he's saying, Jesus, are you really the one who's to come, or should we wait for someone else? Why? What's causing these doubts? I think I know the answer. I think the answer is unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. He had an idea about who Jesus was going to be, what kind of, of Messiah, what kind of Savior he was going to be, and Jesus was not meeting these expectations. When, when, when John talked about who Jesus was, this is what he says. Back in Luke 3, he says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. Speaking about the Messiah, about Jesus, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's a strong statement, isn't it? He's speaking about the Messiah, and he says, the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to separate out those that are truly God's children and those who are not. He's going to come with this a winnowing fork, which they would use to, to separate the wheat from the chaff, the thing that was usable from the thing that was unusable. And he says that's what the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to come with, with fire and judgment. And now what's going on? He's sitting in prison. And he starts to say, is this the one that we've been waiting for? And if it is, then where's the fire? If Jesus is the Messiah, where's the winnowing fork? Where's the, the judgment that's supposed to come? And if, if he's the Messiah, then why am I in prison? When's this thing going to get started? So he says to Jesus, are you the one who is to come because I'm waiting for you to do something? And maybe I should be waiting for someone else to do something. Quite the question, isn't it, from John? But I hope that we can have sympathy. Do you ever get confused about what God's doing? You have an expectation about how he should deal with the situation, what he should do, and he doesn't come through on that, and you start to say, maybe, I don't know, I'm just not sure about who he is. Is he as strong of a savior as he says? 
doesn't meet our expectations. We expect him to, to act in a certain way, to respond in a certain situation, to our pain in a certain way, and he doesn't. We expect that if we believe in him, everything is going to be made right, that Jesus is going to come and he's going to defeat all of our enemies, and then he doesn't. And we start to say, well, maybe, maybe he's just not who we thought he was. We start looking for a savior somewhere else. We look around at the culture and we see society. We think, well, society's just going down the tubes. And Jesus says he's on the throne. But it sure doesn't look like he's on the throne because it looks like everything's falling apart. So we start to say maybe there's somewhere else, someone else that we need to go to. Maybe he's not the Savior that we thought he was. So what does Jesus do to answer John's question? Jesus participates in show and tell. Did you guys ever do show and tell in school? You'd go in and you'd, you'd bring something. And you say, this is my care bear. You'd show it, and you'd tell about the class about why you like that care bear. Jesus does show and tell. The disciples of John show up, and they say, are you the one? And Jesus says, one minute. And then he turns, and the text says, in that hour. So for the next hour, he heals people of diseases, of plagues, of evil spirits, and people that are blind come and are made able to see by Jesus. So he shows them all of this. He says, watch this. Look at the power that I have. And then he tells them something. He says, go and tell John what you've seen. Tell him everything that you just saw. Tell him that, and then he gives this, this modified quotation of Isaiah 35 that we read and Isaiah 61. And, and he says, tell them that the blind receive their sight. The lame are walking. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. He says, tell John what you see and remind him. Remind him that I might not be doing everything that he expected, but I am the one. I am the Messiah. I'm not meeting all of John's expectations. I'm fulfilling some of them now, but not all of them. If you look back at that Isaiah 35 passage, it basically says everything will be made right. That God will come and he will deal with evil fully and finally, and he hasn't done that. And so this, again, is what we call the already not yet of the kingdom. The, the reality of Jesus' kingdom is here, that he's come, he's doing all these amazing miracles. It's, it's here. And yet there is a day to come when he will come and he will judge the world. But that day has not come yet. He's come first, and he's come to say that, that he's bringing salvation. He's come to call people to, to repent and to believe in him. That's what's happening now. There will be a day when he comes in fire, when he comes with the winnowing fork. But right now it says in Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is patient, He's patient with us, not willing that anyone would perish, but all would come to repentance. So John, Jesus says, Jesus says, I'm the one. I may not be everything you expected, but my ways are better than yours. I'm more than, you're than you expected. You know, as I thought about John, I thought about this quote, I heard it from John Piper, and it's accredited to a guy named v. Raymond, v. Raymond Edmund. This is the quote. Don't question in the dark what God showed you in the light. Don't question in the dark what God showed you in the light. And I thought about John in this dungeon, in this prison. It's a dark place. It's a trial. It's difficult. And in the midst of that darkness, he starts to say, ah. He's questioning what's going on. Is Jesus really everything that he, that I said he was? Is he really coming? Is he really the Messiah? It happens to us. Trials and tribulations, they cloud our thinking. They make us not think clearly about who God is. We begin to doubt Jesus. 
But I think this is encouragement that Jesus has given. He says, John, don't question in that darkness what you saw so clearly before. What you saw when, when I was baptized, what you saw when you heard me speak, what you've seen in these miracles, this is true. And right now, life is hard and you are questioning. But remember what's been revealed to you. I think that, that that's a word for us so often that maybe you are in a dark, difficult situation. And you just say, you know, I expected something different. And I just don't know if Jesus can meet the needs that I have. I think in that dark place we go back and we say, well, but who has he revealed himself to be? Who is he truly? And I think this is the, the role of the church so often when people struggle with doubt. That we don't condemn, we don't point a finger and say, we just need to believe. We say, go back, think about who you remember him to be. You're in the midst of this darkness. Don't forget who God revealed himself to be in the light. And then Jesus gives this blessing. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I think that's meant to be a loving rebuke to John. Blessed is the one who's not scandalized by me. It might be a way to translate it. It's this word that means tripping over. Blessed are those that don't trip over Jesus. That don't have trouble proclaiming who he is. John, Jesus says, blessed are you if you don't trip over me. Blessed are you if you're willing to set aside your expectations of the Messiah and realize that while I'm not everything that you expected, I am the one. Don't question in the dark what I've revealed in the light. I think that's a word for us, that we are often ashamed of Jesus. We don't think he's dealing with the situations the way that we want him to or the way that we expect him to. But Jesus is, doesn't always meet our expectations. doesn't always do what we expect him to do. But blessing comes when we're not scandalized by him, when we're not tripped up by him. We accept him for who he is. And who is he said to be here? Isn't this amazing? I mean, this list, we read this and we're like, yeah, that's what Jesus did. But do you realize what he's doing here? He's giving sight to the blind, allowing people that could never walk to walk. People that were lepers, he cleanses them. People who could never hear, he gives them hearing. Dead people are raised to life. That's amazing, isn't it? This is who the Messiah is. This is who Jesus is. And this is what he's done for us. All of these things, what do they point to? They point to the deeper reality of what Jesus has come to do. And this is what he's come to do. He's come to give sight to those of us who are spiritually blind, who can't see that we need him. He causes us to come to him when we are lame and we can't walk. Cleanses our hearts from sin like we have leprosy and he cleanses us and makes us able to come to him he opens our ears so that we can hear the gospel he raises us up even though we're dead in our trespasses and sins and when we are we are we see our poverty we see our need of jesus I pray that god would help us to see our need when we see that he tells us good news when you recognize that you're lame and you're blind that you that you can't walk that you have leprosy he says i've got Good news. He proclaims the good news. He says, I have I have lived in perfection when you never could. I have died when you should have. In your place I have stood and I have risen victorious. I have conquered the grave. I accomplished my mission to seek and to save. He's done everything that he was supposed to do. He's done it all. Jesus doesn't always do what we expect him to do. He does a billion times more. And blessed are those who are not offended by him who adjust their expectations, who receive him as the Messiah that he is. He has come to bring salvation. Now we might look at this situation and say, well, John was way off. He really had no idea what he's talking about, did he? But Jesus comes and he offers this beautiful message about who John is and then helps us to see who we are. 
John's messengers leave. They say, okay, that's a great answer, Jesus. We've seen everything, and we are going to go tell John exactly what you told us. That's just what we needed to hear. And then he turns to the crowd. And imagine this interaction between Jesus and the crowd. He says, why would you guys go out to the desert? What would you go out there to see? And this wasn't just a small trek that people were making when they went to see John. You're talking 50 miles without a car, and they're going out to see John. He says, what would you go out there to see? He gives them some options. Did you go out to see a reed shaken by the wind? That either means, did you go out just to look at the scenery in the desert? I think the crowd's laughing. I think that's what we're supposed to say. No, we didn't go out to see a reed shaken. Or maybe it's a reference to John. Did you go to see someone who's easily swayed? That would make people laugh. John was anything but that. And then he asked him another question. What did you say? The answer is obviously no. So what did you go out to see? Did you go to see a guy dressed in nice clothes? What was John dressed in? Camel skins. He's out there eating locusts and wild honey. That's who this guy is. He's crazy. And did you go out there to see a fashion show? No. If you want to go see that, he says, go to palaces. What did you go out to see? He says, did you go to see a prophet? I think everyone starts nodding their heads. And that guy that's always in the back said, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's what we went out to see. And Jesus says, you're right. You went to see a prophet. I tell you what. He's more than a prophet. He says he is the greatest prophet. He says he's the one that was sent before me. I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. He says he's the greatest prophet because he's the last one. He's the, the final prophet. He's the one who is, is right before the Messiah comes, right before the Savior comes. And, and he's this bridge. He's the, the greatest prophet. Not only that, but what does Jesus say? He's the greatest man. He says, among those born of women, which includes everybody. (laughs) Among those born of women, that's everybody. Actually, I think it probably is meant to include everyone, excluding Jesus. Yes, Jesus was born of Mary, but his birth was was unique. It was supernatural. And so among those born normally, (laughs) as opposed to Jesus, who was born of a virgin, he's the greatest, the greatest man ever. Think about that. I mean, put that on your resume. You'll get any job in the world. Jesus said, I was the greatest man to ever live. And then what does Jesus say? He just throws this zinger in there. And he says, and the one who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. So John's the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. He's the greatest man that's ever been born, normally. And the one who is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. What does that even mean? (laughs) I think this is what it means. I think that what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God, the new covenant, the new thing that I am bringing is so much greater than the old way that that if you're just in it, you just make it in, you're even better than John. You're more blessed than John. If you know the truth that, that I have come to bring salvation, if you know that I have died and risen again to give new life, if you know that the Holy Spirit has come, if you understand the, the church, it's it's even better than being the greatest Old Testament prophet because this is so new. It's it's so much better. It's so much greater to be a part of what Jesus has brought. First Peter 1.10, he puts it like this, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. So the prophets of old, they worked hard to understand what was going to happen, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating that he, as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. So they're working hard to see when is the Messiah coming? 
When is the Savior coming? They're trying to figure this out. And then Peter says this, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. Who were they serving? They were not serving themselves, but you. They they never saw it. John never saw it fully realized. They were serving you in these things, which have been announced to you through those who who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So the prophets were speaking of the one to come, and they never saw it, not all the way up to John. And then Jesus came. And not only that, but if we look forward, the angels are looking into this, wanting to be a part of it, wanting to understand it. The prophets longed for it. The angels longed for it. And we experience it. We understand it because Jesus has come and he has brought salvation. He's made us a part of his kingdom. And so we're blessed beyond any belief. And all the tax collectors and the sinners, it says here, they say, yeah, that's right. Why? Because they were the ones that bowed the knee. They were the ones that went and received John's baptism and and admitted, yes, we are sinners. Yes, we do need a Savior. But the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, rejected it. They said, we're not going to John. We're not doing what he says. John wants me to go out there and say I'm a sinner. And then he wants me to get dunked into the dirty Jordan River. I'm not doing it. I'm respectable beyond that. I don't need to do that. So the tax collectors and sinners say, we rejoice in that because we are the least of those and we've been received in the kingdom. And the the Pharisees, and it says the lawyers, the experts in the law, they rejected the purpose of God for themselves. They're upset about it. Why? Because they had some expectations. They had some expectations about who the Messiah was going to be too. Just like John had expectations. The problem with the Pharisees is their expectations turned into demands. Their expectations were no longer something that was flexible. They said, if Jesus is not who we say he should be, then we will not receive him. If he's not the kind of savior that we want him to be, then we reject him outright. And so Jesus kind of gets at their heart. He tells them a parable. He says, what am I going to say about this generation? What are they like? He says, they're like little children. They're like kids in the marketplace playing. And one kid says, hey, we played the flute for you, and you didn't want to dance. And then we sang a dirge, And you didn't weep. The point is, we came up with all the games that we could play, and you didn't want to play any of them. You ever play with someone like that? You ever been that person? You come home and you say, I'm hungry. And and someone says, well, we got this, 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 and this. I don't want any of that. Well, then you're not hungry. (laughs) But people are like that, right? We'd say, and kids are like that. Oh, I want to play. I don't want to do anything that you want to do. And he says, that's exactly what you guys are like. Because I, John came and, and he was, he was, he didn't eat bread, he didn't drink wine, and you said, he has a demon. You rejected John. And then I came and I ate and I drank wine, and you said, he's a glutton, meaning he eats too much, and he's a drunk, and he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You don't like John, you don't like me, because we're not meeting the expectations that you have. They're like that kid who, when things didn't go his way, you remember playing with this kid? He picked up the ball and said, my house were my rules. I'm going to take my ball and go home. You know? I said the Pharisees, he, that, I think that's really what Jesus is getting at. Daryl Bach calls this, he's one of, the par- one of the commentators, he calls this the parable of the brats. 
He says, the Pharisees, they got mad because Jesus wasn't who he ex they expected him to be. What did they expect him to be? Well, they expected him to come and to, to be like them, to be religious like them, and to, to make them exalted in the kingdom. And who does he go to? He goes to all the people that they hated. He goes to the tax collectors and the sinners. He goes to people they don't like. And so they get mad. They don't, they don't like what Jesus is doing. They don't like who Jesus is hanging out with. They don't like the message that he's proclaiming. And so they, they say, unless you come in the way that we want you to, we reject you. I, I think this is just very common. We have a, we have an idea. People have an idea about who Jesus should be. What's, what's the Savior supposed to be like? We know exactly what he's supposed to be like. Well, Jesus is too hard on sin, and so I just can't receive him. He just always is talking about sin. Jesus is too loving. He just accepts everyone. He needs to, to, to preach a little bit harder. Jesus is, he reaches out to people that are just too different than I am. Whatever excuse we might come up with, we just, our expectations become demands, and because Jesus doesn't meet those demands, we say, well, he's not what I expected him to be, and so I just reject it. I'm not going to listen to it. I think so often some of the arguments that people have against Christianity are just an expectation that they had. This is what I think Jesus should be like, and he's not that way, and so I reject him. Their expectations have become demands. And so I think there's this difference between John and the Pharisees. I believe that when the, disciple, when the disciples of John went back to John and said, listen, this is what Jesus said. First of all, we watched him do all these amazing things. It was it was awesome. And then he said, go tell John this. And I think John went back to that place. In the midst of the darkness, he went back and remembered, that's right. That's right. It's not everything that I expected. It's even better than I expected. I'm going to adjust my expectations about who Jesus is supposed to be based on who he really is. But when he comes to the Pharisees, they just they couldn't change their mind. They said, it's just too difficult. I think that's the miracle, though, of the gospel, is that God comes in the midst of our expectations, even our demands, and he says, this is who I am. And he changes our hearts. I think that's the question here, too. And, 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 and then just that last phrase, yeah, wisdom is justified by all her children. It's kind of this, you guys can say whatever you want, but, those that are true children of the kingdom show forth what is true. Those that, that walk in the way that I've called them to, those that accept me for who I am, will show forth the reality that this is right. So I think the question then is, what are, what are, how are we going to respond to Jesus? Are we going to hold on to our expectations? Are we going to say, Jesus needs to be this way or I will reject him? What was John's question? Are you the one or should we look for someone else? If we reject Jesus, then we're going to start looking somewhere else. We're going to find, we've got to find a savior somewhere. We've got to find hope somewhere. And if Jesus isn't who we expect him to be, then we start looking somewhere else. And that's just a terrible thing to do because he is the only hope that we have. Are you going to take your ball and go home? Are you going to reject Jesus because he's not who you expected him to be? Because he asks you to repent of your sins, to recognize that you're a sinner, to turn from that, to change. Because he invites tax collectors and sinners to come and eat with him, and you just don't want to hang out with that crowd. Because he's too much about sin, or he's too much about grace, or because of who he is, or who he isn't, or who he hangs out with. He just said, I don't want anything to do with it. Jesus comes and he says, this is who I am. 
whatever you expected, I'm probably different than that. And I'm a billion times better. And you need to adjust your expectations to who I am, to who I've revealed myself to be. And so when we, when we have that heart, we come to him as the people that came early on in this passage. We come to him and we say, Jesus, I'm blind. I don't see my sin. I don't see my need. Will you open my eyes so that I can see? We come to him as those who are lame, who can't walk, and say, Jesus, will you make me able to walk to you and with you? We come as lepers, people that are outcasts, people that are unclean, and we say, Jesus, will you cleanse me? We come as people that can't hear, that we listen to truth, but it just doesn't sink in, and we say, God, will you open my ears to hear the truth of who you are. We come ultimately as people that are dead, dead in our sins. And we say, Jesus, will you raise me up to life? Ultimately, we come as those that are poor. That's what he says. It's the poor who receive the good news. It's those that are poor in spirit, those who say, I do need you, Jesus. I I can't do this on my own. I need help. Jesus comes and he preaches the good news. I read this morning in, in the book of Mark, in our readings, we were in Mark six fifteen, And I thought as I was reading that, you know what, it's interesting. In Mark 14, the high priest is putting Jesus on trial right before his crucifixion. And he asks him, in a sense, the same question that John asked. Listen to what he says here. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is... What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, here's the question, Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one who is to come? That's what John was asking. Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. (laughs) He answers even more clearly for the high priest than he did for John. He says, I am. Am I am the Messiah, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garment and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy. The guards received him with blows. Jesus comes and he says, they, they come and we come, people, everyone comes and says, are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior? Are you the one who is to come? And Jesus says, I am. And there's two responses. There's the response of John that says, you're not what I expected, Jesus. You're way better and I adjust my expectations. I receive you. And then there's those that say, that's blasphemy. There's no way you're the Messiah. And they crucify And what's beautiful about this is in crucifying him, in killing Jesus, they accomplish the salvation for those that are willing to adjust their expectations. Jesus doesn't come and he says, I'm the Savior and here's X, Y, and Z that you have to do in order to be a part of the kingdom. If you want to be one of the great ones in the kingdom, here's all the things you got to do. No. He comes and he says, I have done what you could not do. I am the Messiah. You you expected something totally different. Let me tell you what I've come to do. I've come to seek and to save the lost. I've come to bring salvation. And the way you receive it is not by doing good works like the Pharisees think that needs to happen. The way you receive it is by bowing your knee, 
by being dunked under the water that recognizes that, that you need to die to sin and be raised to new life, that you are a leper, that you are blind, that you cannot hear, and I need to give you new life. It's by faith, by believing, not by doing. All the Pharisees said, here's all the things you got to do. And Jesus says, I've done everything. It's by faith alone. So I just want to say again, Jesus is not what we expected. He's a billion times better. Adjust your expectations to receive him as who he is, because it's better than anything you can imagine. And if you've forgotten that, in the darkness, go back to the light. Go back to the place where you knew that that was true. Remember and if you've never had that experience where you've said, Jesus is the Savior of the world, I believe it. I repent of my sin. I turn and I receive him as Savior. He needs to change me completely. And I encourage you to talk to myself or to someone else. And I want to tell you about how you can be a part of this kingdom where the least is even greater than the greatest man that's ever been born. What a wonderful truth.